Again, it is so good uh, to worship together with you this, uh, this the Lord's Day. Um, if you have a Bible, I want you to turn with me uh, to uh, potentially one of the uh, most famous short stories uh, ever written in Luke chapter 15. So if you have a Bible, Luke 15 uh, is what we're going to uh, look at over the next couple weeks, actually about three weeks we're going to spend uh, looking at this really incredible story. In fact, the most, one, of the, one of the most famous authors uh, and poets, Charles Dickens, declared uh, this short story from Jesus. He, de- he declared it as the finest story ever written. And it's a story about relationships. You have three main characters in the story. You have uh, the father, we see the father figure, and then he has two sons. I, I can't help but connect a little bit with this story. I was, uh, my, my parents had two boys, and that was it. They were finished with me. I'm the youngest, my older, my older brother. He's four years uh, older than me. And so in this story, it's a story about relationships. And really what we're going to see is, I think it's a famous story that a lot of people have heard of and, and have recognized, but there's so much that I think Jesus was teaching specifically uh, in, this, in this great story. It's a story about relationships, really two kinds of relationships. One is the one who's, they're both alienated from God. It's a picture of being alienated from God. And one is the younger brother. He's the obvious one. He's the one, the word that we have that is not really used in anywhere else in society, but in this kind of a story, the prodigal. It's a word that we use uh, when we talk about someone who's kind of wandered off, who's, who's gone astray, maybe a, a black sheep of the family or something. But this, this younger son we're going to see is he's alienated from the father. But we also are going to see how there's an elder son, the one who stays at home, but he's more of an elder son. He's kind of the one who's a rule follower. Uh, my wife is the oldest in her family, and I would say of the, of the three, I don't know, I mean, I, I argue she's my wife, of course, but of the three, she's probably the, the most like, rule follower. If she's ever told a lie, at least to me, it would be news to me. I, she's the most honest person I think I've ever known. And uh, I think of that older, older child as that one maybe sometimes can be the, the rule follower. He's kind of like the, or a man of the house kind of steps up following dad, that kind of thing. want to tell their younger siblings what to do. This older son stays at home. He seems to be the great one. He seems to be the one who is, who's the one who loves the father, who's connected to the father. But what we see also is this elder son is also actually alienated and away from the father. And these three stories Jesus tells is ultimately in direct response to uh, a question and a statement, really, from the Pharisees. And I want you to look at it. If you have a Bible, look at it with me in, in Luke 15. It says this, looking at verse 1, we're not going to look at this whole story, but in looking in verse 1, he says, Now the tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him. I mean, we would normally think that's a, that's a great thing. These people are drawn to Jesus. People who are outsiders. These are the, the tax collectors. These are the hated of the society, the sinners. Even They just have a title for them. They're the sinners as if they're, they're the only ones who sin. And then you have the Pharisees and the scribes, and they grumbled, saying this phrase, this man receives sinners and eats with them. I mean, normally we'd think, man, let's, what, a, what a gracious man who would, who would welcome sinners, that he would sit at table and, and eat and share a meal with outcasts and people who were wandering off and who were away. He eats these meals with them. And so Jesus, in direct response to this statement about himself, that they said, he's this, who is this person who eats and shares meals with these kinds of people? And they grumbled, actually, it tells us here. 
So he tells three parables, three parables I think many have connected with over the years. One is, the first one we're not going to look at today, but the first one is a, is a, a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, but one had strayed away, and he has 99 in the pen. He's 99, he's got cared for, but one's away. And so sure enough, as Jesus tells the story, this shepherd goes, and this shepherd's going to go find that one sheep that's missing. I mean, what a great picture. That's like, man, that's awesome. Jesus is telling a story about someone who cares about even the tiniest one, even the one missing one. He's willing to go find and search after that one, and there's a celebration. Then he tells another story about a, a woman who is a lady who has who lost, uh, she has 10 coins, and she loses one of them. And what does she do? I don't know about you and your homes, uh, but in my house, Amanda asked me to find something you know, what, you know what happens? I can't find it. You know, I don't know. It's like, I, can't, like, I don't know if, if it's a man, a man thing or something. It probably is. But if she gives me instructions or like I know that something's lost, I go look for it. I mean, I, I feel like I'm being specific looking for it. Just can't find it. And then sure enough, Amanda goes upstairs and it's like immediately she finds it. It's like, how did you do that? I don't know if that's like a, a woman thing, but what this picture is telling us is this, 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 this woman is sweeping, and it, it describes her as diligently seeking after this one coin. And you might be like, that's cool. I mean, like, I've lost coins, and I usually don't care if I've lost a coin. I'm not too worried about a coin, uh, unless it's some that have a major collection or something like that. But for the most part, like, there's no coins that I'm worried about I'm going to go search for. So we can kind of kind of connect there, but I'm not a shepherd, so it's kind of hard to connect with sheep. It's like, I don't have any sheep. Uh, I've seen some funny videos about sheep, you know, those kind of things, but really haven't, <laughs> don't connect necessarily with those. But I think with this third story that Jesus tells, the story of the prodigal son, almost every person can in some way relate to that. I think of myself as a, as a dad, has two boys and a, and a daughter, one 12 and one uh, nine. And I think as I was a high school pastor for almost 15 years, and in those 15 years, I got to watch a lot of black sheeps, a lot of wayward kids, man. They, they would be like, oh, that's great. They, we would take them to camp. They'd, come, they'd go to camp, and they'd think Jesus is amazing, wonderful. They'd sing songs. They'd, they would be at the campfire, and it's the picture of the campfire, and everyone's just crying like crazy, and they want to give their life to the Lord, and then then all of a sudden they turn to high schoolers and something happens. It's like some, some hormones, some stuff happen in their brain to make them really not smart. <laughs> and all of a sudden they're making unwise choices and they wander off. And so many parents can connect to that because they've, they've watched as some of their kids maybe have wandered away or strayed off a bit. Or maybe you, as a, as, a, as, a, as a teenager at one point, maybe you were a little bit in, this, in these shoes where you were a, a drifter a little bit. You're trying to figure out life on your own. I think almost Every person can connect with this story. It's a wonderful story that Jesus told, and there's a lot to learn from it. And I want us to do that uh, together this morning as we read it in Luke 15, verse 11. Let me pray before we read it together. Father, we love you. We thank you again. Thank you for a time of worship. Thank you for Walt and this team to, to lead us this morning. I, I pray that our hearts would not just sing lyrics like this that have been sung this morning and, and it not really do anything in our heart. Father, stir an affection for us that leads us to a radical love for the Father. Burden through this story because I see myself as so, I can, be, I can be both brothers. I can see myself being a, a legalist, a Pharisee, and a, like this elder brother. I can also see my, my heart is wanting to drift, wanting to try the things of this world and the temptation of this world. I pray that we take the lessons that we can learn from this story and I pray that we would leave here differently than we came. Father, use this story. 
And it's not just a story. It is your living word. We believe that it comes directly from you. And I pray that we would listen intently, that your spirit would speak to our hearts. God, we love you. We thank you for this time together. And we ask your, your blessings on it in Jesus' name. Amen. Look at this with me. Luke chapter 15. Starting in verse 11, he says, Jesus is telling the story. And kind of keep this in the back of your mind, that, that verse 2. And the Pharisees and the scribes grumbled, saying, This man receives sinners and eats with them. So then he tells them these parables. So just kind of keep that in the back of your mind. They're grumbling about the, the Jesus, the fact that Jesus is welcoming sinners. That he accepts people. That he loves people. That he would actually share a meal with these, quote, outsiders. And then he tells this story of the prodigal son. I want you to look at it with me. We're just going to walk through this story together in the brief time we have. Look at verse 11. He says this, and he said, there was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of property that is coming to me. And he divided his property between them. We just stop just for a second, even there. Just stop for a second and think about what was just what just happened. I mean, here this the odd I mean, think about the audacity of this request. He says, give me. He says, like, give me what is supposed to come to me. Come now and give give me what I deserve. Because you have to understand in Jewish culture, again, during this time, so the way the inheritance would work is typically your firstborn child would get a double portion of the inheritance. So the, the firstborn gets a double portion. So in this story, if there's two, two sons, uh, the oldest son is going to get two-thirds and the younger son is going to get a third of the wealth. But also think about this, in that culture as well, I mean, we don't think about it today in this way, but think about it. Maybe this, this, this younger son is asking this request of his father. He wants inheritance now. That is pretty bold because ultimately in that culture, it's not like he can be like, all right, let me dip into my retirement fund. Uh, let, me get, let, me, let me pull out some cash and I'll hear, fine, just take, take a third of what you want and you can just try to see what you can do with it. You can invest it if you want. You can go do what you want. All right, good luck. But no, in this case, this father, he's, your wealth is tied to your land and your possessions. And so this is going to come at great cost to him. He's going to have to sell his possessions. He's going to sell off some of his land to be able to give him the funds necessary so that he can go do what he wants to do. And so sure enough, this, this son is asking a bold request, something that this father could have literally kicked his son out of his house and said, no. You don't have to, I'm not giving you anything, I'm done with you. He could have forcefully sent him away and said, all right, good luck. Because what is he saying when he's asking for this? He's basically saying, you're dead to me. I mean, think about this. You're saying, I would rather you die and I have your stuff. Give me your things. I want your possessions. I want your riches. I want your wealth because I don't really care about the relationship. I just want what you have. And I think this is so important for us. And if you're taking notes, feel free to write something like this down. But here's one point that just stands out to me in this story is this. The son wants what the father can provide without the relationship with him. He just wants his things. He wants the things that the father can give, not the actual father. He doesn't really care for his father. He actually says, I don't need you. I just want your things. I mean, okay, put yourself, for those of you that aren't a parent yet, but those of you that are, Think how, how, how painful that would be to say, just give me your stuff. I don't really care to talk to you. 
I don't, actually, I just want to be out of this house. I want out of, your th- out of your rule. I want out of this home. I want to live my life. I want to spread my own wings and kind of fly. What is the son doing? I mean, maybe, maybe this younger son felt this way because his dad was too strict. Or his dad was holding him back in some way. I don't know about you, but if we did a show of hands, how many of you think your parents were too strict? You probably all raise your hand at some point. You're like, man, my parents were too strict. Uh, like, I wish, that, wish they would have wish they'd been a little more lenient or something like that. Or maybe you're like, actually the opposite. My parents were way too loose and I made some poor choices because of that. But maybe, maybe he felt this way because his dad was too strict or his dad was holding him back in some way. Wanting to, he's wanting to just spread his wings and, and see if he can make it in this world. You would think, though, that when you make this kind of bold request, you're ruining the relationship. And remember what I said at the beginning? I, think, I really believe this story is about relationships. We see this relationship with God. And here this son is saying, I don't want relationship with you. I just want your things. And here's the reality. I think I would argue that this is a lot of people. This, this kind of fits the category of most people. Potentially even in this room. I see how in my heart, there's times where I'm like, God, I just, like, do I, am I really pursuing a relationship with him? Do I, do I actually want him? Is my heart long for him? When I sing how great is our God, is my heart saying, man, God, I am so thankful for you. Not just because you've been good to me, not because you're great. No, because of who you are. You are mighty. You're powerful. You're all-knowing. You're the sustainer of heaven and earth. You, you give life and give breath to my lungs. The reason I exist is because of you, and I long for you, not just because like, hey, could you hook me up this week with a nice bonus, or could you hook me up with a, a, a promotion, or could you, could you make my kids be better? And, and, we, and we can so do that. I remember as a high school student, I don't know if you were this way, if you were following Jesus at that point, but I was, I was, I was I would say, loosely following Jesus at the time. I don't really feel like I was a, a, a believer until I was 17 years old, a genuine follower of Jesus until I was 17. I knew him, I knew him my whole life. I grew up in a church. My parents, uh, I would say, led me to the Lord and, 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 and led me through a sinner's prayer, if you would say, when I was about five years old. And I prayed a prayer, but I really don't think my heart was ever in tune with the Lord. I was just scared to death of hell. I was like, I'm a five-year-old. Like, who wants to burn forever? I'm like, I've touched something hot, and it's really painful. Who would ever want to do that? No, of course. Heaven sounds like a great option. I'll take option A over B all day long, any day, right? And so I'm hearing that, and it's great. And so then the rest of my days from, from about five years old till about 17, I just lived my life trying to be good. I was like the elder brother that we're going to look at next week. Try to be good. Try to get God's acceptance. And so here's what I would do. I played a lot of sports. And so playing sports as a high schooler, I would do that. I'd be like, God, would you just, you know, allow me to hit a home run today? God, help me to strike out 10 people today. God, give me, give me, give me victory today. Give our team victory. And I'd be praying these kind of very self-centered prayers, saying, God, would you do this for me? Or, you know, have you ever done this? You're sitting in a, you got a test to take. You're sitting there and you're like, all right, Lord, I know I didn't study near enough. God, I, I, I was too busy last night doing some other things. Uh, but if you could just hook me up with an A on this, like just magically gift me with the smarts to answer these questions. I have prayed that prayer too many times. You know, it's like you just kind of throw these out and you're like, God, will you, will you come to my benefit? But, but not just as teenagers, right? We do this as adults. We do it all the time. God, will you help me get this job so I can maybe have a, a nicer house, be more comfortable? You know, things are a little stretched right now. God, would you, would you come through? God, can you get my boss off my back? And while you're at it, can you get me a raise? Uh, if you do this, God, and you make all these promises, right? God, if you'll do this for me, I promise I'll, I'll do whatever you want. 
I'll give, I'll give you this if you'll just do this for me. And we make these proposals. We treat God like this cosmic genie. We say, God, will you come to my rescue? And ultimately, the question is that we need to look at our heart and say, is my heart want the Father? Or does it want what the Father can give? Is it what God can bless me with in this life? Is it even just about eternity and like he can give me heaven? Or is my heart melt over my Savior? When we sing songs about Jesus and what he has done to make a way, when we think of the name of this church, Redeemer Community Church, when we think of God as our Redeemer, that he redeems me, that he, that he comes and he pays the price for my sin, he, he rescues me. We sung about this earlier. And oftentimes our prayers and our life and the way we interact with God is, I need, I want. God, will you bless this? Will you do this? And sure enough, this son wants what the Father can provide without having the relationship. He has completely alienated himself from his father. And so the story continues. He, he's now going to get what he wanted. And sure enough, the story continues in verse 13. Now many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. And there he squandered his property in reckless living. That's an old King James uh, Bible would say prodigal living. And when he had spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country, and he began to be in need, so that he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country, who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was long, longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, and no one gave him anything. So this son, he, he, wanted, he wanted what the father could give him. And so sure enough, the father, like really boldly, and, and kind of like most people would look on this, the Jews who would have heard this story would be like, Look, this guy is getting what he deserves. He asked for this, and so he's getting it. The, the, the original hearers, the Pharisees and the scribes, remember those people who said about Jesus that this man receives sinners and eats with them too? And they looked at that, and they grumbled and complained over the thought that he would be around these kind of people. And so his original hearers would be hearing this. All right, let's see, what is this younger son going to do? He thinks he wants all these things. And so sure enough, as it said in verse 13, not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had and took a journey into a far country. You know, he's kind of like, all right, here we go. Let's see, what, let's see what this great wide world has all about. It's, I mean, he's, maybe he's laid in bed and been thinking, or maybe when he was out in the fields or in the villages, he would hear the villagers talking about all the great things, all the things that you can do in a far country, all the things you can do outside of the, your father's house. And maybe he dreamed about it long enough that he said, okay, I'm going to go. And he asked the request, and sure enough, crazily, we think, uh, actually, the father gives him what he wants. He gives him his a portion. And he takes it and he gathers it all. He says, I mean, it sounds like he took it everything. He's like, all right, I'm taking all I got. No plans of return. I'm going to go live my life. And this is such a reminder um, to me that as this son is longing for this and, and he's longing for that kind of that, that high life picture. You know, I don't know if you, uh, I don't, most of us don't watch live TV anymore. It's kind of crazy. But so my kids, it's pretty funny. They're always like, is, is, is Warnock running for president? Because they're like on YouTube. And they're like, they, all they see is, is Warnock commercials all the time. And so they're like, who is this guy again? Because that's what they hear. So, you know, a lot of times we don't get many commercials anymore unless you watch like live sports. Like, 
Alabama yesterday losing. It was kind of crazy. Um, but if you, exactly, yep, exactly. Um, and so, but, but anyways, when you, when you, when you, when you uh, think about this, these, these commercials, there's one that I think is really hilarious. I've seen it watching something with my boys, and it's a Liberty Mutual commercial. You know, Liberty Mutual seems like, man, they're pumping a lot of dollars into their advertisements. But if you notice, there's one commercial right now that they're like, they're like, we've learned from research that, that, people, that people like your product if, uh, if you just see young adults having a great time with your product. And so here's, here's, here's 30 seconds of just watching young adults having a pool party with Liberty Mutual. <laughs> and so it's just these like, people, these young adults kind of looking like goobers, you know, kind of thing. And they're, they're jumping in the pool, having a great time with their Liberty Mutual and all that stuff. And I think that's the picture, though, right? Because like, society understands like, that sells, like, the, the idea of a better life, uh, of like, man, if you have this drink, it's going to make your life better. Or, or if, you, if you just have this or that, you're gonna, your life's going to be much better. It's going to not be as nearly as complicated. And there's this promise that things will go great. And there's this promise that all things will be good in your life and these things. And so, really, that's exactly what Eve did. Satan with Eve in, the, in Genesis 3, in the fall of man. What happens? Do you know that story? In that story, as Adam and Eve... Or there, Eve is there, and then Satan comes, and he tempts her with this. And he says, did God, did he really say that you couldn't eat of this tree, the tree of knowledge of good and evil? Did he really say that? Questioning what God had said, and then what was the next thing he's doing? And from that, what else is he doing? He's doing this. He's like, man, God, God doesn't want you to know. He's holding you back. And isn't that like this younger brother thinking, man, my father's hold me back. The, light, the, the promise of this great life is out there. But I think this teaches something to us so much about sin, and it's this. And you can feel free to write this down too. Is sin promises much, but delivers little. Really, it delivers nothing. It might li- deliver for a short season. But it's a big over-promise and a very harsh under-delivering. Sin, it always promises much. Like, sin is, it's why it's enticing. Sin is is instant gratification. It's like, hey, if I want this, but I think sometimes we think of only sin as like heinous sins. Things that break, that ruin marriages. Things that get you fired. Things that get you in prison. Like, those are kind of, those are the sins that are bad. But no, sin is more than that. Sin is actually a break in relationship. It's saying, I know better than God. Saying, I know what's best for my life. And so what do we do? We take a shortcut. God says one thing. His word says one thing. And we're like, the temptation's real. And it's like, man, but I, but I want it right now. And so sure enough, we give in. Whether it's sexual temptation, whether that is uh, shortcuts in, making, uh, in, your, in business deals, whether that's uh, uh, go, lying to make yourself appear better so that you tell, this is a little light, I just no big deal, but it makes you look better in front of people. Because, again, what is it doing? It's putting yourself above God. And sin, it always promises greatness. It promises great things. It's like those get-rich-quick uh, infomercials. Like, oh man, if you just do this for $149 a month, <laughs> you will make millions. It promises so much. And sin is promising so much to this younger son. He's looking and he's thinking, man, this is going to be great and it's wonderful, but we quickly find out it's not so wonderful because what does he do? He spends it. And he spends it specifically, Jesus used this word very wisely, reckless living. He spent it on worthless things. 
He spent it on prostitutes and living and just living this life and parties and just having a good time. And quickly, he didn't didn't invest any of it. He didn't do anything good with it. He wasn't generous with it. He just was wasteful with it. And he spent it on sinful lifestyle. And quickly, he finds himself in a deep, dark hole. As it tells us in verse 14, he squandered it all in verse 13. And when he had spent, I mean, notice the words, when he had spent everything, then he spent everything, he has nothing. And then, oh, just randomly, just like happenstance, no, and sovereignly in this story as he's telling it, a severe famine then comes and arises in that country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. So basically what that looked like is there's other stories that Jesus told about a hired servants. And so what they would do is day laborers. They would show up at the kind of at the town hall area. They'd gather there early in the morning in hopes of getting hired for that day to work. And you might would get work, you might not. And so this was kind of the lowest of lows people. I mean, these are the servants, people just trying to find work because they couldn't find it anywhere else. And so here he is, he's at the lowest of lows, and he's just trying to be hired out. And so here he is, a Jewish guy. This doesn't fall vain on the hearers. They're hearing this, and again, reminder, the Pharisees are going like, man, this guy is getting what he deserves. This guy is getting exactly what he deserves. He is, he's wasted his father's inheritance. He's lived it on reckless spending, and now he's in the pits. What else are you going to say, Jesus? And he's hired out these himself. And so sure enough, Jesus goes even further. And he's like, he's hired himself into the fields to feed pigs. I mean, Jews and pigs do not go together. They don't mix. And they would not be, they wouldn't touch a pig. They wouldn't eat pigs. And so for a Jewish man to be a hired hand of this very lowest of lows position with figs feeding them. And sure enough, he's so low that he's wanting the food that was for the pigs. You see how sin promises much, but delivers little. You see, this promise, this great, oh, this great life is going to be wonderful. I'm going to live it for myself and do these great things. And who cares about my father? I'm going to go do what I want to do. He ends up at the lowest point you can really think of. And I don't know about you if you've ever been to a, a low point in your life. Maybe you've had hardships, challenges. Maybe chaos, things maybe you brought on yourself, or maybe things that just seem like, it's like, I swear, is everything against me? Is God himself actually against me? Everything is awful in my life. I feel like I can't get ahead. I'm always stuck, never can move forward. I'm, or, or maybe you just feel that, that weight of your sin, and you're like, man, I don't think God could ever possibly forgive me for the choices that I have made and the mistakes that I have made. I could never do that. And so the, the son is, is literally at that point. He is at the lowest of lows. And I want you to see what happens in verse 17. I think this is so important because I think every person who's a genuine follower or believer at some point has to come to grips with this about themselves. And notice what he does in verse 17. But when he, notice this, he came to himself. Most of us would say it wouldn't be take too much to come to yourself. You're like, I have dug a big hole and buried myself in it. Like, I should probably not be doing this. Like, what was I thinking? Like, you kind of a come to yourself moment. He says he came to himself and notice what he said. He started thinking about home. He starts thinking about home and he says, how many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. 
He's like, he started thinking about home. He remembered the, the taste of the food, the, the sunlight as the sun would rise over the horizon. He started remembering the table and the celebrations and the laughters and the joys of home. And he started thinking about that as he's in the pits. He's sitting in the pits. He's sitting in a pig's, pigsty. And he thinks about home and he's like, man, the servants in my father's house have it better than I do. Because again, he thought that it was, he didn't need the father, that he just wanted his own life. And he's now starting to think the father maybe had his best interest in mind. And in this lowest of lows moment, I want you to see this because I think this is what for us as individuals, as the sun is starting to see, is this, is the path toward repentance. The path toward repentance begins when we come to grips with our lostness. You see, the path towards repentance and change. So repentance is a change in mind and a change in direction. So it's a, literally a turning around. So you're, you're, you know, he's pursuing this life of sin. He's saying like, hey, I'm going after this pleasure and the sin is enticing. He's going this direction. He has this moment in his lowest of lows moment. He has this remembrance and this reminder. And he says, man, my servants in my father's house have it better than me. And so I'm going to do something about it. I'm going to change. And so here's what he says. Listen to his words. I will arise, go to my father, and I will say to him, Father, and notice what he recognizes, I have sinned against heaven. He doesn't just say, I've sinned against my dad. I haven't just sinned against him. I didn't treat him poorly, and I need to seek his forgiveness. No, I need to get God's forgiveness of me. And from getting God's forgiveness, I need to go and ask forgiveness from my father too. So I've sinned against heaven and before you. And he's, he's, he's thinking about this, and he's rehearsing it. You ever had that? You ever had that where you got to rehearse it? I know, like, sometimes that's what I do in bed every, only, almost every night. <laughs> okay, not every night. Like Amanda, she's, she's not a little happy with something I've done during the day. And I'm very measured with my words. And so Amanda has learned over the years that like my quietness is not like stewing in anger. It's I want to say the right thing and I don't want to mess this up. And so in my head, I'm rehearsing how things come out. And so I'm in my head getting it right. I'm like, all right, that's not going to, she's not going to like that one. Let me, let me get it just right. Let me get the, let me get the phrases right, the words right. Because if I say the wrong thing, this could be painful for, for all of us. And so, um, and so sure enough, I, I'll, I'll think it through. Or maybe when you were young, you know, like you're trying to come up with your excuses or trying to get your way, right? And you're, you're thinking your plan that you're going to tell your parents and you're like, all right, so dad, oh wait, he's not in a good mood. Wait, never mind, never mind, bad idea. <laughs> Hold off until he's in a good mood, right? Or, or you, like, you gotta butter him up, all those kind of things and prepare to give this speech. And so he's rehearsing what I'm gonna say. I have sinned against heaven and before you. In verse 19, I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he sees his unworthiness. I don't even deserve to be your son. I have sinned against you. I have, I, I've treated you like as if you were dead to me. And I said, no, I don't want you. I just want your things. I want what you can give me, not you. And so sure enough, he, he wanders. He wandered away, and now he's starting to recognize and come to his senses. And he says, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's like, just treat me as one of your hired servants. Now, I know most of us, and I think in our culture, we would take that and be like, that's pretty good speech. It's good thinking. And in some ways it is, but I want you to see how this is what we do with God often is we do what he just said there. Just treat me as one of your hired servants. I want to earn my way back into your good graces. 
Let me, let me, let me, I'll, I'll be a servant in your home and I, I'll be happy to just be a servant. It's better than being in this pigsty. And so I'll serve you, I'll serve you, dad. And so, so you can accept me again. And so I'll do these things so you'll accept me. And so I'll, I'll do the right thing. I, hey, I'll go, I'll, I know I, I always skipped taking out the trash. I'll do it from now on, okay? I'll, I'll take that job. And so he takes the trash out. I'll do these things in hopes that, that his father will accept him. I'll, I'll just treat me like a servant. So many of us do that, and we're going to look at this heavily next week with the elder son. That is oftentimes what most of us treat God as. Like, let me earn my way into his acceptance. Let me do certain things, and then God will say to me, hey, I'm at church today, God. Hey, I, I, I prayed a little bit this week. I actually opened my Bible and read it. God, I've done a few things this week. Will you accept me? And so he, it's natural because that's all of us. We do that, right? Like, I know that's what I do. When, when I know a man is upset with me, I go, like, clean the dishes. I'm like, what else can I do? Just hopefully it never works. It doesn't matter. <laughs> I got, we got to talk it through. And that's where that speech comes in. Uh, but, but, you know, you're, you're trying to earn, earn grace. But you can't earn grace. You can't earn grace. Grace is a gift given. And here's what we see. In this moment, at first, and I want you to see this, the path toward repentance begins when we come to grips with our lostness. He understands, I I am completely lost. I am dead in my sins. I need rescue. I really believe all of us, at some point in your life, have to come to grips with that. I need grace. I can't earn it. I can't be good enough. I can't, there's nothing that I can do to deserve favor of God. And here, this path toward repentance begins when we come to grips with our lostness, that we are completely and utterly lost. And I believe that he finally understood this lostness and that sense of lostness is what brought him to his senses. He recognized, man, I am at the lowest of lows. It's a come to your senses moment. In this lowest of lows, it really brought him extreme clarity. Has it done that for you? When you've been in that lowest of lows, you kind of, like, all the filters and all the things and the great things in life kind of faded away, and all of a sudden, you kind of see things for who they are. That's what happened to me when I was 17. I was 17 years old, and I was trying to be good and get God's acceptance, and I was hoping He would accept me by me being good, and did I pray the right prayer? And so every time a pastor would lead a a sinner's prayer, I'd be like, okay, God, this time I mean it. I, I really mean it this time. God, will you forgive me of my sins? save me. And I, every time I would pray it. I think I've been baptized like three times because uh, I, I, I was terrified of, of hell and I just, I, I wanted God to accept me. And it wasn't until I was 17 that I say my self-righteousness, my goodness was not good enough. My goodness was actually going to keep me from heaven. That I needed to receive what he had done, not what I had done, not some magical prayer that I pray, but because of what Christ had done on the cross 2,000 years ago. I needed to understand that my goodness was still sinful because it came from a sinful, prideful, self-righteous heart. And here the son is at the lowest of lows and it brings some, takes the scales off his eyes. He's bringing some clarity to him. And here's what it does though, and this is important. A lot of people feel bad about themselves, feel misery. Man, I'm not a good person. I've made a lot of mistakes in my life. I'm no, I'm no good. And so you can kind of walk in hopes the father will accept you kind of thing. You kind of leave this way. But no, as the son does here, here's what he does. Verse 20, and he arose and came to his father. It's like, all right, I'm going home. So he makes his journey home. We're going to look at the father in the third week and two weeks after this. 
And he arose and came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. It's as if he's been sitting there waiting to see if his son would come on the horizon. Because remember, what's this story? Go back to verse 2. This man receives sinners and eats with them. First story that he told, it's about a lost sheep. This one. What does he do? He goes and he finds it and he brings it home. Second story, the woman with the lost coin. There's one lost coin. But in each of those stories, it was the one was lost and then it was found and there was celebration. Here the father, as Jesus is telling the story, the father is sitting on his porch and he's looking and he sees his son, his son's figure appear on the horizon. And what does he do? He runs. This is not cool for a Jewish patriarch in their home. He's the leader of his home. He's like, two, you know, it's like, I don't know how many times, how many times you've seen grown men run. It's not, it's not very often unless it's on Sundays, <laughs> watching some football. Like, like most of us in this room don't do too many sprints uh, anymore. You know, as you get older, you're just like, all right, I'm too, I'm, I'm, uh, that's not dignified enough for me to just go running, like sprinting. Uh, and here, this father with his robe just girds it up and runs to his son. And I want you to hear what he says says, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And the son said to him, here's the speech. He prepared it. Here it comes. Father, I've sinned against heaven and before you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. And he's ready to keep going. But then what happens? The father says, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe. Whose robe is that going to be? Who's the best? Who do you think is the best robe in the house? It's going to be the dad's and it's going to be a nice robe. And he's going to take his own robe and he's going to clothe it on his son and say, here, give him the best robe. Here, take the ring. The ring. I know, he, I know he, sold, he sold it all and he wasted it all on loose living and in prodigal living and excess and wasteful. He's hurt us deeply, but he's come and so he gives him a ring, and he places it on his finger. He gives him shoes, because the servants oftentimes would not have shoes. And he's like, no, no, no. He didn't even get to give his speech. He didn't even get to say, I'll, I'll earn my way back, because that's not how it works with God. You cannot earn it. And so here, this, this father says, this says him, and he kisses him. The verb of that is he keeps kissing him. <laughs> Again, undignified. I mean, the father, can you imagine this dad, this older gentleman's running out there. The servants are like, I have not seen him move that way in a long time. And he runs out there and he embraces his son and he just starts kissing him all over. And then he's like telling servants, bring me the robe, get the robe, get the ring, get the, get the family ring on his finger, get the shoes on his feet. Because why? Why does he say this? All these things. He says, I'm, uh, but, the, uh, but the father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe, put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet. Verse 23, and bring the fatted calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate for this my son was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. And they began to celebrate. But how, if this story is about relationship and about being alienated from God, how can he just accept, can, can the father just be like, you know what, I, I wiped the, uh, the, the slate clean. How can he wipe the slate clean? This son has ruined a lot of things. He's made a lot of poor choices. He's made some really, really poor choices. He, and ultimately is this, and this is the fourth note, and the last one for you is this, forgiveness comes at great cost. Forgiveness is not cheap. Forgiveness is not free. It's free to you, the receiver, and me, the receiver of forgiveness and grace, but it comes at great cost to the one giving it. Here, I mean, he's taken his robe. They've lost a third of the inheritance. 
The inheritance is gone. That money is long gone. He's wasted it all. That cost him a lot. He takes the robe. He gives him that. That's, that's something of his. He gives him a ring that takes more away. All these things in this acceptance is costing a lot. But in the story, though, the salvation, the forgiveness, how can this father forgive? And, and ultimately, our father, God the Father, accept sinful people. How can he bring them back? Can he just wipe it clean and just say, all right, I forgive you. All's good. No. It comes at great cost. In 1 Peter 3.18, in 1 Peter 3.18, I want you to see this. I think we have it on the screen as well. It says, for Christ also suffered. I love how Peter wrote this verse. Just one concise phrase. 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ also suffered once for sins, the righteous for the unrighteous, that he might bring us to God, being put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the Spirit. You see, he was the true son. The younger son, he messed up. He made his mistakes. The elder son, we're going to see next week, is angry. And I think most of us would say, rightly so. He's wasted the inheritance. Now he's going to come back. Are we going to give him another third? You're just cutting more and more of my inheritance. We're going to celebrate? Are you kidding me? I've stayed home. We're going to look at all this next week. He's angry. He's upset. He doesn't want to see this guy come back home. He doesn't deserve it. You see, because forgiveness comes at great cost, and it comes at great cost to God's, his own self. Because he didn't spare his one and only son. He sent his son, Jesus, to be the true elder brother, the right brother. He came and he lived the perfect life. He obeyed the Father perfectly and fully. He lived the life that we were supposed to live but didn't live. And he died the death that we deserved. This is the gospel. This is the good news. This is Jesus has come and he has made a way for us to be forgiven and accepted by the Father because he has paid the price. He suffered so that he could clothe us with his righteousness. I love 2 Corinthians 5.21. It says, He who knew no sin became sin for us so that in him we might become the righteous of God. He literally clothes us with his righteousness. It's this great exchange. He gets our sin, we get his righteousness. Makes no sense. That is a transaction that if you're the one giving it, you would never make. But if you would definitely receive it. You're like, you get my mess, I get your goodness. Sounds like a great transaction. That is the great exchange. He says, by, when we put our faith in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, He gives us His righteousness. He takes on our sin all the way to the cross. And it was nailed at the cross 2,000 years ago. But it didn't end there. We sung about this earlier. He tore the veil. He tore the veil. When His death happened, the veil was torn. Access to the Father was granted to all those who put their faith in His Son. And when we put our faith in his son, he accepts us as his own sons and daughters. We get to be the sons and daughters of the king. This is this gift that is given. And the access is only given through Christ. There's no other way. You see, the son who wanted out is interesting. The son who wanted out is welcomed with open arms. And the elder brother who stayed seems to very much be on the outside. And we're going to look at that next week. We look at the elder brother and learn that even the self-righteous need to repent 
and receive the love of the Father. I want you to bow your heads and close your eyes with me. I'm, I love this story. It's a, it's a grand story. As Charles Dickens said, it's one of the greatest short stories ever been told. The love of a father for his son. A picture of grace and mercy. I don't know where you are in your life. I don't know what's, what, where, where all of you are on your journeys in this life or where you've been, where you're headed. But I know that we have a father who's ready on the doorstep saying, come to me. He's saying, come to me. He wants to give you sonship. He wants to adopt you into his family. He wants to bring you in. But some of us, maybe we haven't hit the low yet. Life's just been too good. You're like, I know you said sin over promises and under delivers, but that's not been my experience so far. And maybe that has been your experience. Maybe you've been living a life of sin and it's been good. The Bible tells us though that judgment is coming, whether in this life or the next. In Hebrews 12 tells us all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant but later it yields a peaceful fruit of righteousness those who, by those who've been trained by it. You see maybe God is disciplining you. He's trying to draw him to yourself. He's trying to open up your eyes to your need of the gospel and maybe you're still in a downward decline and you're wandering away or maybe you're like the elder son who's been living self-righteously and trying to be good and earn acceptance with God. Here's the reality is Jesus has paid everything. He's done everything for your salvation. Put your faith and your hope in him. Trust him. He is trustworthy and he is a father who longs to bless you and to give you life, life to the full. But it's done in complete surrender to him. Not to earn it, not to earn your favor with God, but because of his love for you, it leads to a response of greater love for him. So would you put your trust in him today? It's simple. Pray. Say, God, I don't, I don't know where I've been. I don't know what I'm even doing, God. I know that though I am, I feel very alienated from you. I feel far from you because I know I have made poor choices and made mistakes. God, will you forgive me? If you pray from a heart of genuineness, saying, God, to forgive, the Bible tells he is quick to forgive and he will lavish his love on you when you put your faith in his son his completed work on the cross and his resurrection to new life to give us hope. I want to encourage you to talk with someone. Uh, Austin will come up in a second talk about some next steps and different things uh, as a response. But I want to encourage you. Put your faith in Christ. Seek forgiveness. Our hope is in the Lord. Father, we love you. We thank you so much for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. I pray that Father, that you would that you would show yourself strong and mighty. That we wouldn't just want your things, your stuff. God, the things that you can provide as the God of the universe. God, help us to long for you, the living God, our Savior and our Lord, our Messiah, the, the Holy One of Heaven. God, give us a love for your word. Give us a love to pray and communicate with you, to talk with you, to spend time with you. God, change our hearts, change our affections. It's so easy to live for this world and the things of this world and all the empty promises that they bring. God, I pray that we will be restless until we find rest 
you. And if it means bringing us to our lowest of lows to open our eyes, I pray you'll do that. It's an eternal destiny, as it's said by the Earls in the video, hangs in the balance. Not just for the people in the Maliali people, but for the people who live right here in Buford and Gwinnett County. We need the gospel too. So Father, help us. We love you, God, and we ask all this in your son's name.